Oh, Galatians chapter 6, the letter to the Galatians chapter 6, guess this is a a safe place to to begin to read the scriptures. If you've never read the Bible, you might not even have brought a Bible with you. We bring Bibles to church because we're reading our Bibles. All you need to do is grab your device and Google, you know, search for Galatians, whatever your search engine is. Uh, Galatians 6 and the initials ESV as an English Standard Version. That'll be the translation I'm reading from. You're going to want to read it for yourself. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 11, the translator heading over this entire section in the English Standard Version says, Final warning and benediction. And as you find your place, this is it. Listen, this is it, our last sermon in the Galatians. Next week we return to our study of the book of Acts. We, we, we inserted Galatians into the storyline of Acts, right where it needed to be, in order to get a better read on what is going on behind the scenes in our bigger study of the book of Acts, which is perhaps the most action-packed book in the New Testament. And uh, next Sunday is no exception. Next Sunday will be no exception as we jump back into the book of Acts and where we left off. And we'll be immediately immersed into, I'd say, the biggest courtroom drama scene you'll find in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul will go on trial trial for what he has been teaching and preaching all around the ancient Near Eastern world in the first century. (laughs) Outlined quite provocatively, primitively and provocatively in his letter to the Galatians. His letter to the Galatians. That's what's been going on. This is what's been going on, you might say, what's going on behind the scenes between the lines in the book of Acts. Here it is. The Apostle Paul has been traveling around the, the known world, telling everyone about Jesus, and to date, and to date, all he has for it is like a black eye and a fat lip. <laughs> if you, listen, as we finish Galatians, if you think Christianity started with like a, a bunch of hippies in a drum circle down in Laguna Beach singing like Kumbaya or whatever, you, you're sadly in, uninformed. <laughs> And most likely unfamiliar with the last two sentences of the very first letter an apostle ever sent to some of the very first Christians. These are the closing words of a man who has been fighting for something. Fighting for something. Look with me. Chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. I'll read them, pray, follow along. Verse 17. Apostle Paul writes, From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Let me read that again. From now on, no, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. The Apostle Paul writes, For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. These are the very words of God. Would you join me in a prayer for understanding? Father, Father, we commit ourselves to the the study of your words. We ask for your, your grace as we engage with these sentences. Our hearts and our minds. Father, send your spirit in these moments that we have with 
your book open on our laps. Show us your Son. Help us. Feed us. Change us. Give us your heart located in these two sentences, we pray, for our salvation and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, this morning we have a rather unusual text selection before us. A rather unusual text selection before us. Everybody's got to get to these verses if you preach consecutively through the Scriptures. You preach not... Uh, you might say selectively, but consecutively throughout the, uh, the Bible, then you're going to get to these verses. But, but this is a rather, I would say, unusual text selection. The, the, the conventional approach would have been to include these two sentences in our sermon last week. You might have expected that. You might have been surprised that we cut it off, pulled out two verses, two sentences early. It, it could have been as treated as part of the conclusion to Galatians, that would have been totally legitimate. Listen, totally legitimate. The parting words of Paul, in all caps, remember last week if you missed it, in all caps, a final warning and benediction as he stated in verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And then what does he say? In essence, he says, you've been looking for a rule? You want a a rule to live by? I'll give you a rule. And what did he say? In essence, he said, obey the gospel. One rule, to rule them all. Obey the gospel. Probably not what we were hoping for. We were hoping for like a list of rules of clothing and music we're supposed to listen to. And what, what can we watch? Is it PG or is it PG whatever, 13? What? No, it was just obey the gospel. <laughs> that you may know God's grace and peace and mercy. Amen. So be it. Paul could have ended right there. We could have ended right there. That would have been a fine ending to our series through Galatians. And, and let me just say, as your preacher, as your preacher, a pastor, one of the pastors, I would, I would have closed the book satisfied. I, I would have closed the book satisfied knowing I most likely will never have the opportunity to preach Galatians again, for there are so few Sundays. I know it feels like there's a lot of Sundays, but from a preacher's standpoint, there are so few Sundays and so many other books of the Bible to get to. However, however, we picked this unusual text selection <laughs> because I have one more thing to say. I have one more thing to say. I believe God has one more thing to say. I, 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 I think, I believe God, as a team, we believe God has one more thing He wants to speak to us before we close the book on Galatians and we complete Galatians and move on from Acts, and that's this. It's a plea. It's a, it's a plea. It's, a, it's an urgent request. When we planned out this series, this, this was in our hearts and minds. A, 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 a personal appeal to us. The members of Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. Not a correction. It's not a rebuke. But an inspiration. Or you might say for motivation. For clarity. For vision to make a statement. Here it is. Here it is. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't, don't be a troublemaker. 
Not that any of you are. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. And not that any of you are. And if you're thinking right now, oh, shoot, he's talking about me. Well, I might be. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. We're, we're not. There's no, this, is, this is a very happy, pleasing moment for me, though it sounds provocatively because Paul is being very provocative. It's a pleasing moment for myself and for your pastoral team because we have no one in mind. There is no one coming to mind. In fact, the irony of the whole thing is that if anyone is coming to mind, it's not lost on me or Pastor du- uh, Mike or Dustin, who's probably on a plane right now, coming back right now, Pastor Dustin. The irony is not lost even on me and us. If anyone is a troublemaker, it's me. <laughs> I am the troublemaker. And all of you are just nodding quietly, politely, <laughs> as you're agreeing. I love to push the boundaries. Yeah, I do. I like stirring the pot. I do. That's why our programs are primarily designed. We start with what would cause and agitate us a little bit more. Let's do that. And then the guys bring us back a little bit. I'm not afraid to chop it up. If anyone thinks they're a better troublemaker than me, I'll see you outside after class. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. He's not talking about individuals who are causing him some kind of inconvenience in your way or a discomfort or a disagreement. Don't, no one else, don't drop in on me when I wasn't planning on you being there. That's not what he's asking. He's not asking any, everyone, would you just stop bugging me? He's not asking everyone to stop asking him questions. Or even disagree with him. Oh, I think that, that would be the farthest from Paul's mind. If you disagree with me, let me know. Not, not in general. He's not even asking for people to stop disagreeing with him. He has something very specific in mind, and it's why this document exists in the first place. The occasion that caused him to write to these early first Christians as they were spread out around what today is modern-day Turkey. From now on, you guys over here in Turkey, big turkeys, right? Cause me no more trouble. Just ask the question, what was the trouble? What was the trouble? Here it is. Opposition to the gospel. Opposition to the gospel. A resistance. And we'll get to what the gospel is in a minute. Resistance to the gospel. Obstruction. Obstructing the advance of the gospel. Getting in the way of the gospel. Enmity towards the gospel. Hostility. Hostility when it comes to the message of the gospel. That's, that's the trouble he's talking about. You, you and I, listen, you and I are sitting in church, right? We woke up and chose to be here. And for the majority of us, we made a conscious decision to, to be here rather than, I was thinking about this this morning, hundreds of other Sunday gatherings within miles of us. You chose to be here because you love the gospel. See, I don't, I don't have a, the only one in mind is me when I think about a troublemaker. 
You love the good news of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited promised Messiah. Here's the gospel. Spoken in the, or in the in, I just told somebody in Old Town this yesterday afternoon, or it was yesterday, Friday afternoon, I'm trying to get home. He's getting in my way. I'm like, don't trouble me anymore. I'm studying a passage about not being a troublemaker. <laughs> and of course, he said, I just got a question. I catch up with you later. I know you're a pastor. And his question was something like, so it was like, basically, he was like, Jesus was like plan B, right? We messed it up. And so he had a, plan, a second plan. And, and I got, I, I said, look, you're getting in my way. <laughs> and he offered to let the motorcycle warm up while, I, while we talked. And I said, I'm not warming up. I got to get home. But he said, it seems like it's just like plan B. And I was like, oh, goodness. Jesus is mentioned in the early verses of Genesis chapter 3. He's right there in the beginning. You love this. You're good gospel people. You love the Lord. You love the gospel. It's the gospel that's whispered through all the verses of the Old Testament. Then, then he bursts onto the scene in the, in the new where, and it's Jesus, where Jesus is plainly and compellingly presented. If anyone would just read it, right? And the scales fall up plainly and compellingly presented as a, a sacrificial lamb. The sacrificial lamb who came to die that, that people like you and I could live. A God-man who could live in our place. A sacrifice for our sins. A way forward. A way forward for all of humanity. All that will hide themselves and trust Him. A beginning of the end that leads to forever. You love this. I love this. We love the good news. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. I know this about you, and you, I hope you know this about me. You're gospel people. You're not the same people you were. The life you live now, you live, we read this in Galatians, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you. We sang about this morning. We're going to sing about it again. We're not moving on from this. Who gave his life for you. In some ways, you might say, many, many would say, you can't avoid it, just, just believing this puts a target on your back. Christians are, some would say, by definition, troublemakers. But again, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what Paul's after here. He's making a plea for a ceasefire agreement, okay? A ceasefire agreement with regards to the gospel among gospel-believing people. Christians. Basically, what he's saying is, from now on, let no one who claims to believe the gospel cause me trouble because I have been preaching the gospel. That's what he's saying. From now on, let no one who claims to believe the gospel cause me trouble because I have been preaching, teaching, promoting, delivering, demanding obedience to the gospel. That's why we saw it, just to remind you, because we're, we're, we're leaving Galatians now, like chapter 4, right, chapter 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved, he tells them. He's speaking to Christians, to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Question mark. 
What does he say? He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He's talking to people that received the good news, like us. He talks later in chapter 4. Just think again. It's verse 12 if you're looking in your Bible. He said, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. (laughs) They have a relationship. They're brothers, sisters. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, remember this, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. You do that for Pastor Mike, but not for the rest of the team. He's like an angel. In my phone, it says Michael. And that's just to remind me. Michael Davis. You receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? That's the trouble he's talking about. For I testify you, he says, that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and gave them to me. Have I then become, verse 16, chapter 4, you can look at it later, your enemy by telling you the truth? You would have given me your eyes. That's gross. (laughs) It's gross. Now, I'm your enemy? ends his letter. From now on, let no one who claims to believe the gospel cause me trouble because I'm preaching the gospel. Or if I could turn it on its head for us this morning, very briefly, because this is what we wanted to say as we close it and go back to Acts, and I think we'll be on the right side as we see Paul go on trial for this kind of stuff. Could we, could you, as individuals, but as a church, could we, as Paul says elsewhere, it's all over his writings, and we're going to see Jesus says it as well, could we do everything for the sake of the gospel? Could I give my life to the cause of Christ, rather than cause trouble as the advance of the gospel comes seeming like it's going to steamroll over me and my pet projects and hobbies? For the cause of Christ. And here's what we do. We can believe the gospel with all of our hearts. We can, listen, we can proclaim the gospel in everything we do. As individuals out there in the city and in here together, we can believe it. We can proclaim it. We could defend it. As we'll see in a moment, to be like Paul with our very very lives. We could join Paul. Rather than being a troublemaker, we could join the Apostle Paul, follow his example, follow the example of brothers and sisters who have faithfully devoted themselves to the cause of Christ and the advance of the Gospel to the spread of His kingdom and His glory through the, for, through the salvation of sinners like you and I and not be troublemakers. <laughs> Not be troublemakers, not standing in opposition to the pure simplicity, what seems childlike, 
the call to repent and believe and to live and to hope in the mercy and the grace of God alone. Not on anything I do or who I know or what I believe, but the grace I am receiving. And it all starts with just where Galatians began with faith. And faith alone. Belief in the gospel. If, if we are to not be troublemakers, we need, we need to expend copious amounts of energy in cultivating our conviction and faith and confidence in the gospel. If you're counting points, is point number one. Belief. Believe the gospel. For the cause of Christ, may we be people who believe the gospel. And I know that sounds weird, but I'll get to it in a moment because we can have churches full of people who don't believe the gospel. And unfortunately, might not even be Christians. But what does Paul say? Chapter 2, he, here's, here's one place he said what, just what we're talking about right now. He said, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. This was the crux of the conflict, right? The battle that's going on that's being talked about in the letter to the Galatians. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He says later in chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not by works, but by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he ends that chapter with a very, very scary statement. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Or in other words, if I try to justify myself before God, earn his favor, in some way say, I'm okay, you're okay, because I'm okay, we're okay, because of what I am and what I have accomplished, what I have done with my life or not done with my life. Paul says, that would be as if to say, there's nothing there to see. Christ died for no purpose. But that's not us. But it must be us more and more. It has to be the solution to all of my problems. Sinclair Ferguson, one of my favorite preachers today, he's retired now. He's abandoned America back to Scotland. He wrote about this. He said the spiritual life, he's talking about this, this belief in the gospel. This, the, the spiritual life is lived between two polarities. Our sin and God's grace. And if you don't see those two as polar opposites, says, the spiritual life, this is our life, is lived between two polarities. Our sin and God's grace. The discovery of the former, our sin, brings us to seek the latter, grace. The work of the latter illuminates the depth of the former. And causes us to seek it, to seek yet more grace. You see, it's like a cycle. The more I'm acquainted with who I once was, that makes me run to the cross and to realize that I haven't earned anything. And then as I'm there, it only illuminates further my need for 
grace and mercy. And it just keeps going. Spurgeon said, another great preacher from the 1800s, he said, don't buy the lie that cultivating condemnation and wallowing in your shame is somehow pleasing to God. It's just the opposite. It's only when we receive His free gift of grace and live in the good of total forgiveness that we're able to turn from old sinful ways of living and walk in grace-motivated obedience. This is what we need to cultivate in us. Cultivate a fresh and greater, greater measures of appreciation for God's grace and to see it as free and unmerited and nothing, nothing, nothing that any of us deserve banished from our, from our community. Us. Any kind of merit-based economy. It's all level here. We're the, remember, we of all people should appear to be the most freest of everyone who lives on planet Earth. <laughs> for, for we have been forgiven for our sins simply because we received the forgiveness. Tim Keller, he passed recently. Just going back to things we referenced in Galatians. Tim Keller said the gospel is this. He famously described it this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare to believe. You're more sinful than you dare to believe. Then he says, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is why we keep singing it reading it, proclaiming it, speaking it to one another, sticking on it, (laughs) believing it for ourselves. We don't just preach the gospel to those people out there that need it. (laughs) As we pray oftentimes on a Sunday morning, Father, save us again. (laughs) As He is still saving us and it feels like it doesn't it i'm being saved listen one of the greatest dangers we face as a church when it comes to not being troublemakers (laughs) one of the greatest dangers we face is not the world's influence upon us or people on the outside protesting us. If you think we're safe here in Old Town Orange, and we are relatively safe, but but when it comes to what we believe and what we stand for and who we are, what we say, we can expect at some point, right, opposition, but that's not the greatest danger. I'm not worried about us when it comes to, you know, What will people say about us? We don't care. (laughs) I mean, we care, but we don't care. No, I I think our greatest danger might be spiritual immaturity. It might be a shallow understanding and appreciation for the gospel itself. That, That would cause us to be troublemakers, to stand in opposition. Because we don't really get 
what it is that Jesus has done for us. We could, we could start assuming it because it's not really something very exciting. Here's another quote from, that we celebrated while we were uh, from another writer, D.A. Carson, still alive today, a great theologian. This is what he says when he talks about the gospel and assuming the gospel and, and not necessarily plumbing the depths of the gospel and cultivating new appreciation for the gospel in us. This is what he says, the first generation he observed in churches and groups of churches and a drifting over time from the gospel. He said famously, the first generation believed and proclaimed the gospel gospel. Listen, even if you feel you're old in here, you're the first generation. Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, we're a baby church. We're, we're hoping to be here for at least 100 years unless Jesus hits eject early. Listen, <laughs> I'm hoping, hoping we're the next 100-year church in Old Town Orange. But listen, this is what he says. The first generation believed and proclaimed the gospel. That's us. By God's grace. The next generation assumed the gospel. Yeah, 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 we all believe Christ died for our sins. Let's get on with it. Let's do stuff for Jesus. And they so famously said, the third generation denied the gospel. Time and time again. Just think about churches you know. Maybe it's a church you grew up in. And when you were a little kid, your parents took you to that church and they were preaching the gospel. And you're just saying today, what happened? I was just back in one of those churches back where I grew up. And I just, what happened? This is nothing. Nothing like even I would remember. S sadly, there was no one even there. It was just a few of us who came for a special service. No, that wasn't even a special service. It was a regular service. No one's there. Wouldn't have turned on the lights if we had not shown up. The first generation believed and proclaimed the gospel. Actually, that church, they split off from another, <laughs> I'm Ukrainian, another Ukrainian church because they didn't think they believed and proclaimed the gospel. So they started their own church down the street, both of them onion domes right in my little town where I grew up. They believed and proclaimed the gospel, but the next generation assumed it and went on to do other stuff and build buildings and schools and programs and pierogies, if you know Ukrainian food. And third generation is just, and fourth and fifth now, denying the gospel. For, this, for the sake of the gospel, Paul says to the Corinthians. For the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. We must believe the gospel. Personally. All of us. Don't assume it. You're here, your parents have brought you here, they've drug you here for whatever number of years, you gotta internalize it yourself. You have to receive it, you have to submit, you have to give up, you have to give yourself to him and it, his message. You don't feel ready for it, you'll never be ready for it. I'm not ready for it. You don't feel worthy of it, you're not worthy of it, that's the point. But it's worth it. And if we're not going to be troublemakers in the church, we're going to have to believe it. Point number two. We've got to proclaim the gospel. Listen, it's not, 
It's, it's not only that we must believe and go deeper and deeper into the glories of the gospel, but we must proclaim the gospel as well. We must, we must speak it to those outside the church and speak it to those inside the church. And I was thinking in the, in the, in the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, where does Paul say this? What does he say most provocatively? And very provocatively, he says it just just a little bit ago when he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Talk about proclaiming the gospel. You thought I was talking about proclaiming the gospel to those that live in Old Town as enemies of the cross. Absolutely. Well, we got to speak the gospel to one another. What do you do? Oh, this was so wonderful. Pastor Dustin preaches. What do you do when you see something? You say something. But let me ask you the question. Here's a test. If you've been paying attention, what do you say? Hey. <laughs> You're bothering me. <laughs> You're not meeting my expectations. I would have expected XYZ from you. By now. <laughs> but what does Paul say? Here's one thing Paul says, and you'll remember this. I am astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What could that different gospel be? That different gospel can be all kinds of things, but in particular in the book of Galatians, that different gospel is things like doing things you think are godly and will please the Lord, but doing them for the wrong reasons. He's not saying, <laughs> so we go back to the brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Of course we're talking about those outlandish, obvious to everyone works of the flesh, deeds of the flesh, and there's a list there. You can read it on your own. It's a serious list, but that's not what necessarily he's talking about. Brother, sister, you seem to be trusting in your own wisdom as you provide for your family and it's causing you to lose sleep at night and you're wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and trying to make it all work and figure it all out and it's probably making you to be one of those kind of like me angry dads that constantly having to repent because something's getting in my way and it's troubling me because the world's not working the way I would want it to work or you're sad and depressed. You don't like how your life is turning out. And the other person is watching you do that and saying, well, let me give you three tips to make it work out better. <laughs> or whatever it is. No. What does is, what is Paul identify as the problem? It's, it's, it's a gospel issue. It's a faith issue. We're all believing the gospel. And here's a little secret, theological secret here. All sin is rooted in unbelief. Why is it that I'm anxious and not sleeping at night as I can't provide for my family? Because you don't believe that God is so kind and gracious and cares for even the smallest bird. Will He not provide for you? You don't like how your life turned out and you're trying to turn it around. You don't like your circumstances. You're not happy with your lot in life. 
when you see that, you preach the gospel to one another. We counsel one another with the gospel. We speak the good news that you have been redeemed and that your Father loves you and cares for you and is caring for you and will care for you and that He is invincible and indestructible and doesn't change and, and doesn't wax and wane. His love and affection for you isn't, isn't on a meter every day going up and down. It's pegged to 100 all the time. Whether you sin or you please Him, still, his posture towards you is the same. We preach that to one another and we preach that outside the church. Again, greatest danger for us as a church, I think today, I think, I think by the grace of God, we love the lost, we love our city, we love our neighbors, we love our families, we speak the gospel to each other and to, or into, into our community. We're happy to make investments in the gospel mission. We talked about this at the members meeting last week. We're making big decisions on how we can make, you might say, Lord would use us to make bigger impacts on more people up and down the West Coast. Because West is best, right? West Coast. And we're, we're wrestling with that. And it comes with big costs and even scary ones. Like, well, if we start, if we start praying... For, oh, goodness, these cities like Seattle, oh, or Portland, oh. No, uh, we start praying for these cities. We, some of us might be called to go to preach the gospel there. That's not where our greatest vulnerability lies. Our vulnerability lies in, oh, you're having a sucky day? Oh, well, you know, tomorrow will be okay. <laughs> might not. <laughs> you're sick? don't worry, you'll be fine. You might not. Some of us have not been. We have to preach the gospel to one another. Lastly, very briefly, we've got to believe the gospel, we've got to proclaim the gospel, we need to defend the gospel. Listen, defend the gospel. Here's what Paul says, just a reminder again. Here it is at the end, fighting words. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. We just read that. It's almost poetic, but it is horrific. He bears on his body the marks of Jesus. He's so united, so intrinsically united to his identity wrapped up in Christ. Not only has he identified with, we'll say, the scars that Jesus bears on account of his atonement for our sin, but Paul is bearing scars himself. He's gone around. This is what was in between the lines, but it was read very, very explicitly in the book of Acts. And it's coming more. Paul is going from town to town getting beat up and thrown out by the bouncer left for dead outside the city walls. He's bearing Bearing the marks of Jesus on, on his body. Why? Because he's not a good preacher? <laughs> no. Because he's been preaching the gospel. He's been preaching it so well that it's making people uncomfortable. And people are troubling him. They're hostile to his message. 
a number of you, and I'm not thinking of any of you in particular, but this is actually wonderful because it means we've all been paying attention and God has been at work. Over the last six months, we have been preaching through Galatians <laughs> and time periodically between one of the pastors, you probably talk about this with others, is probably talking about it all the time in your small group, whatever it is, uh, wherever you're talking about it, or hopefully not on social media, because I don't know what you're saying on social media, but asking the question, having it, this seems too good to be true. This seems like we're saying you don't have to obey. This seems like we don't have to comply with God's expectations and laws. This, this seems like all you're saying is in order to receive the grace of God and the forgiveness of my sins, all I have to do is receive. Which is, as we talked about before, a peculiarly, right? Receiving grace. Not, not really a work. It's not like, I believe that's why he saved me. But even in our believing, it's a gift from God. It's a, it's a, it's a grace from God. I've, I have received what he has done. And I don't have to do anything to receive it. And that has made us uncomfortable, has it not? <laughs> Some of you, maybe it hasn't made it uncomfortable and I want to try to be more of a troublemaker in your life. <laughs> but for many of us, it's uncomfortable that it could be that plain and simple. And it is. If you're teaching the book of Galatians right, you should probably, and you're, you're reading it right, you should probably experience the same things the Apostle Paul experienced when he wrote it he was charged with being against the law of god anti-nomianism anti-law free grace freedom <laughs> and we've felt it and it's why we're here it's why we were there in the book of Galatians and why we're going back to Acts and it's why we sing these songs. It's why everything about us seems to be about Jesus. As best we can, by the grace of God, we stick to this message. We decide to only preach this message. We resist the impulse to make another list to clarify what it means to obey. The gospel. It's, it's why we say around here oftentimes, and here it's coming, it's coming again. Man, every four years this happens, there's a big election, and everybody starts talking, and everyone starts saying, what are we going to say? What are we going to say? And if you're not paying attention, it's happening all the time in our city and all around, and every week there's something in the news, and what are we going to say? And here's what we're going to say. Christ and Christ crucified. We're going to speak the gospel. We're going to defend the gospel. We're going to preserve our gospel voice. We're going to preserve our gospel voice. And as we preserve our gospel voice, and we are in some ways misunderstood because we're not doing whatever those other people who believe the gospel expect from us because we are Christians too, so they got a list of demands for us. We're going to bear scars. Like Paul, if we join him in the cause of Christ for the advance of the gospel, as we believe it, as we proclaim it, as we defend it, we too will bear the scars. And our scars will tell stories 
Some of those scars are friends that have left us. Some of those scars are things we don't do anymore. Some of those scars are things that we are misunderstood for. Some of those scars are things that we have endured because we've been misunderstood. Golly, do you ever feel like you're misunderstood because you believe the gospel? This whole New Testament (laughs) is about the man, the most misunderstood man who ever lived. Do you bear scars? You might bear scars because you've been passed over for promotions because you're the weird Christian guy <laughs> or gal. You might bear scars because your family, just, you just don't fit in. You may have, the scars, and these, are, these feel like small, insignificant scars, but in the moment, they feel big. Like our neighbors all are hanging out together, and we seem to be left out because they think something about us makes us to not fit in with them. And the answer is, yeah. In some ways, yeah. You may bear scars because of decisions you make and things you support and fund, and even as we give together, Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, your scar might be in your bank account. If I had that extra whatever, I could do X, Y, and Z like my neighbor and my friend, my coworker, my fellow student. But no, I have chosen to do this. And it is a form of self-denial, taking up my cross, denying myself. I'll tell you the big one that weighs on Pastor Mike, myself, and Pastor Dustin, again, as he's drinking Diet Coke in the air playing right now watching a movie (laughs) here's the one that weighed on our hearts last month as we went away for a weekend on a retreat some of you some of you want to be married but you believe the gospel and you've been speaking the gospel proclaiming the gospel with your life And now you have to fight to believe for the goodness of God in your life because that person who didn't believe the gospel and actually was an enemy of the gospel wasn't the right fit. And you wait and you trust the Lord and you experience and practice some more taking up your cross. Now we carry that. We prayed for you. We spent time just thinking about you that God would, God would bless you with a relationship, but at the same time knowing, speaking the gospel to you, better than a relationship with some other human being will be the relationship he offers you with his son, Jesus. Tangible, these are tangible reminders of how we have identified with Christ for the advance of his gospel and his kingdom. (laughs) As John Piper said, we said this before, if we are to boast in nothing except for the cross, we must live near the cross. And he said, indeed, we must live on the cross. There's where we defend the gospel, living on the cross with Christ. Let me end here. The words of our Savior. He says it.
just as Paul says it. No surprise. As we end Galatians and you hear this call, let us not be troublemakers, but instead may we give our lives to Christ for his cause. Here's Jesus. And calling, Mark records in his gospel, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, may this be true of us, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel. as the words of our Savior. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for my gospel will save it. May it be true of all of us as we give ourselves to the cause of Christ. May we live. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I pray for us in the room today, Lord, that you would, you would do your miraculous work in us once again. You would change our hearts. You would change our minds. You would bring new birth to those who have been resisting your grace living in unbelief as an enemy to your cross. Lord I, Lord, I pray you would melt hearts. You would give minds and wills to believe. And Lord, Lord, I pray that as we revel in your good news, as we revel in your Son, as we cherish what He has done for us, and we proclaim it with all we do, and then we defend it with all we do, Lord, I pray Lord, I pray it would have its good effect on us. Its good effect on us that we would experience Paul's prayer for us. That we might experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May His grace be with our spirits, brothers and sisters. We close the book of Galatians. Amen.